talking about a little bit about your background so you're both an academic and a social worker yep yeah i've been uh, in social work now for about 30 years one way or another and for the last 13 years i've been teaching in universities so you were a social worker this was in sheffield yeah mainly i've worked in some other places as well but mainly in sheffield right so the thing i want to ask is when i think of the word social worker it's, it seems like a sort of a multifaceted job, yeah. right? So I'm going to try and ask the Socratic question, right? If, if you're a social worker, you do uh, like child protection, mental health work, drug rehabilitation, yeah. so family reunification, education, work with disabilities. Yeah. So all those disparate things, what do you think is the common denominator that makes a social worker a social worker? Well, I think the key word is social. So it's about what, for me, Social work is different to all the professions, and then what we're trying to do is understand that whole person in the context of their environments, so in the context of their communities, their families, within society. And we, what we try to do is what well, kind of work at that interface between the individual and uh, society. Like by society, you mean like institutions, like the the police, the NHS, yeah. uh, health, education. Yeah, uh, and less formal things. So like. Support networks, friendship networks, community groups, uh, things like that. So that is why it's the social part of it. What's the work you do? What is it? Well, the work then gets divided up between the, the different professions, different specialisms. So child protection, very clearly, is focusing on keeping children safe. Usually keeping children safe within their families or making decisions that they can't live with their families and finding other places for them to live. So that's basically child protection. What it sh- what child protection should be because it, it it really ought to be ch- child and family social work, and child protection is an element of that because really what we should be doing is supporting families, keeping children within their own families wherever possible. The law tells us that's what we're supposed to do. Section seventeen of the Children Act: a child is best brought up by their uh, birth family whenever possible. So that kind of notion that. Uh, the stereotypical picture of the social worker as the child snatcher from so the, from the government comes on and uh, takes away the the, the yeah, 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 yeah breaks yeah, up a family yeah yeah. yeah yeah and I imagine that's not a decision that any social worker would make likely likely not at all not at all it's the last thing it really is the last thing to do and there's a kind of like the in the UK the government um, really t- takes that position of like it's not the state's job to, to intervene in family life which is very different to Scandinavia where they're much more likely to get involved in a, in, in a family's life because they see it as part of their role they kind of think you know children are, uh, should be supported by the state here we do that kind of like you know an Englishman's home is his castle so we, we, we keep out keep out keep out but when we go in it tends to be we go in quite heavily. It's a really difficult one to negotiate that because I can yeah. understand the Scandinavian impulse there because it's on some minimal level the government's 
role should be to protect children. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and that's kind of where I would be <laughs> if yeah, it was yeah, me. Sure. Yeah. It's just like, you know, the state should take its responsibility seriously. Yeah. You know, it's like if you're going to support families, then get in there and support them. Don't leave it and leave it and leave it. And, you know, we also kind of think of like, it's parent- we talk about parental responsibility uh, in this in this country rather than parental rights or things. Mm. So we sort of say it's your job, parent, to... To, to look after your children and keep your children safe it's not it's not the state's job but we will do it if we need to right so then in terms of being again what what is as the social worker it, is it someone who works for the government then or is it someone is there is there like i mean is there a difference say with a community worker or yeah. a charity worker yeah well social work as a profession because it's got those statutory roles so in child protection and mental health mainly but also in, you know, discharging all the people from hospital, making sure that they're sort of integrated back into the community. It's got those statutory roles that, you know, governed by statute. Um, but lots of social workers end up working in the private voluntary sector as well. So NSPCC, Bernardo's, uh, Action for Children, uh, Mind, uh, lots of voluntary groups uh, employ social workers. Uh, Right, so it's yeah, so it is neither it's neither necessarily of the government or of the private sector, no. and in many instances, it's it's straddling probably both roles. Yeah, it really is, and and I I think that social work, as I kind of like traditionally understand it, is more commonly done in community groups in community uh, settings. Yeah, so that brings me on to the other sort of philosophical question. Then is that as someone who has sort of worked on the theoretical side and on the practical side, which gives you sort of a unique perspective. Do you, do you find that across the range of your profession that there's kind of sort of common values that are that are held together? Again, I'm asking the Socratic question. Is there, you know, is there is there a sort of a, a set set of values that bind social workers together? I'm sure there's internal dissent and disagreements and all of that, but is there an overarching... Yeah, we keep trying to uh, hold one together. There's the, the professional organisations like the British Association of Social Workers have a code of ethics... Uh, we talk about professional values um, all the way through. So the old College of Social Work had a set of values attached to it. But the problem with social work um, is that it's a very it's a very fluid uh, profession. It moves in and out of different um, different realms of, of significance, I think, really. And at the moment, we seem to have a very sort of like government-led this is what we want you to do. This is what it will be. This is what social work looks like. And I think as social workers, we're kind of losing that that sense of what are our common values. Mm. So when we've got values like, you know, to act in an anti-oppressive way. to so an anti-oppressive? Anti-oppressive way. We talk about anti-oppressive practices a lot. The values are, we keep writing and rewriting, is what I'm trying to say, mm. is we are... Um, and trying to make sense of them and, and, and very often we, when we think about ethics uh, there's a, I re- actually read a re- really good paper recently where it talks about uh, we're in a sort of sense, sense of ethical moral distress sometimes because what we're doing and our ethical stance are disparate so we don't often feel that we're working that kind of in the way that we want to work that, that, that the job goes against the value base I, right. Okay. Well, this is basically all jobs, probably at some yeah, level. Yeah. yeah. I wonder. I mean, 
Is it the case then that you have different administrations? So you say you were, how long were you a social worker for? You said 12, 13 years? Well, no, about 30 years in social work. Oh, sorry, you say a social worker. 13 years in, in academia, academia of social work, yeah. yeah. But in that time, then, you've seen various uh, government administrations coming in and out. You've seen, yeah, yeah. you've been under conservatives, you've been under sort of labour governments, yeah, you've been yeah. under coalition governments. Yeah, yeah. And is it the case then that, like, whatever government is in place, they then try to impose their values yeah. upon yeah. what one ought to do with yeah. how social work is deployed in society. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, the, I mean, the Children Act 1989 was, was uh, a Thatcher government sort of piece of legislation. I mean, generally as a piece of legislation, it's quite good. But it shifted that thing from parental rights into parental responsibility. It was like a shoving back. So the state sort of pushing back to parents. It's like it's not it's not the state's job to look <laughs> after your children. It's your job. Uh, prior to that, there were I think it was more usual for children to come into care at the at the request of their parents. And it, it sort of like really shifted then to sort of like no, we'll decide if we bring your children to care rather yeah. than you. Um, it's your job to look after your children. When we moved into the into the Blair government, um, what they came along with was the Every Child Matters agenda, which was very much like, you know, we need to... And really seeing children as uh, as, as capital, economic capital, this, the, this is the future workforce. So we have to look after all children. We have to keep children safe. But in so far as they're productive. They're productive. They're going to be an investment into the future. Uh, but what the, what the Blair governments did was actually invest a lot of money. Um, and set up things like Sure Start and things which were really, really important, really, uh, really powerful. Um, and then we got the coalition government that just withdrew from all of that stuff. Right. And so, uh, so an austerity economic agenda, yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we're really blowing the wind of, of government policy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like all institutions, I yeah. guess, education is no different. Uh, yeah. So now the question is, in the current with the current administration, what does social look like work look like in sort of Brexit Britain, post Brexit Britain, pre Brexit Britain? Who knows? Yeah, <laughs> para Brexit, para Brexit. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't know. It 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 feels like we're. I always well, a few times write about social workers being in that sort of like on that paradigmatic uh, shift thing we're in that sort of state of essential tension where we 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 realize that what we're doing now is not working we're not quite sure what we're moving into we don't you know we've, we've been in this kind of risk paradigm for uh, the last 20 years where we everything's about risk you know it's like measuring risk managing risk evaluating risk you know um, and that's really driven practice for a long time i think we're moving into something else but i can't quite see what that is yet um, um but i think what we're all realizing is that this risk thing's not really not not functioning um so by risk you're talking about the quantitative measurement of risk well the, is that possible even? it's not possible to quantitative measures of, of risk the actuarial risk management is just impossible so we're talking about messy, complex lives. You know, you can't, you know, do a kind of what insurance companies do is they sort of like you know they can sort of put in gender and age and all that stuff and yeah. calculate how likely you are to have an accident. Uh, it's not that really not that easy when we're we're talking about dynamic 
lives and, and so like families and particular yeah. societies within class within sort of yeah. in regard to institutions yeah. Yeah, yeah when all the economic ground is shifted and that's the I think really what's what we're noticing more and more these days is that more and more people are living in in poverty that austerity is really hit hard at the most vulnerable people in society um, and so we see more and more people falling into our remit that wouldn't have sort of five, ten years ago. Um, so we're seeing increases in children, in, number of children in care uh, because there are more, better because there are more people living in poverty. Um, what that looks like, if, when, how we we become Brexit Britain, um, I, I, I don't know. But uh, if austerity continues and the state is again withdrawing from from its citizens and, and not actually enabling them to to manage uh, effectively in society we will end up with more and more need for social work services and so again that risk model is interesting then uh, which uh, seems to be driven by a lot of div- both of the different administrations you know so yeah i mean when i look at uh, when i started looking into stuff for preparation for this it seems that sort of the word neoliberal was uh, um, used a lot and it's what is turned up in this podcast a lot. Uh, there's yeah. a lot of sort of the literature about saying what social work is says that it's, un, it's currently under a type of uh, neoliberal sort of economic model. Now, what I, what I take that to mean in the context of social work is that it's the retreat of the state, the retreat of yeah. the government, the retreat of sort of a public sphere, and the imposition of sort of the idea of sort of market oriented forces. Yeah. And is is that sort of amplifying this notion of risk? Is that right? Yeah, I think it is. Uh, and it's that kind of like, well, uh, we're probably living globally within that risk society. We sort of like that late modernity that Beck talks about. We've moved into this thing that everything's about risk. It's Ulrich Beck, yeah? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and um, what that's kind of like arguing really is that there's this need for experts who are there to manage the uncertainties and make everyone feel safe. Um, and and so social work is given that role for the most vulnerable people in society. So child protection is about, oh, we'll need some experts that we can hold to account uh, if these people get hurt. Um, and so social work is, is there as this kind of expert that manages society's guilt, really. And this is something that's manifested within the individual social worker. There's someone who's at a very, very practical, you know, going to people's houses, yeah. going into sort of, uh, sort of, kind of I can use the word troubled uh, families or troubled yeah. homes. Yeah. And, but at the same time, they have the sort of the technocratic side where they have to put it in sort of an actua- actuarial terms, as you put it, you know, have to sort yeah, of yeah. fill out the forms and have to sort of calculate them, how, every single case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm having to account for everything. Um, it's a kind of like um, a, a sort of system of um, recording, really. It, it becomes auditing. Yeah. Auditing, yeah. So what we what we have is everyone is auditing social work files. So there are tiers and tiers of people reading what social workers write, um, and um, and social workers spend more and more time sat at their desks making sure they get the the recording right, and they're not out. At, actually out there with families helping them to doing social work yeah doing social work helping them through through change now, could you give me could you sort of 
could you give me an example of how that might? Uh, could you give me an example of a particular case? If that's is that is that, is that permissible? That actually, can you? you can... Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I can't tell you about a particular case that I've worked on or, mm. or, or sort of make anything. Think. The the famous ones are are the the big ones. So the ones that create the moral panics, the the ones that hit the headlines. Um, so people like Victoria Clambier and Peter Connolly. Peter Connolly, um, the social workers who worked on on that case. This is Baby P. Baby P. Yeah. Um, they did very little wrong um, in their recording, in their process. So lots of procedure was followed, um, and and but still, you know, we end up with they missed out the obvious, missing out th- those questions. We, we often get to it. There was a real, there was a, a serious case review in Sheffield, which around the W family. Okay, so what happened there was uh, professionals were were getting into the house. But they were only going into the downstairs. They were just in the living room. And it was fine. It was it was not a problem. Um, what we ended up with there was, was some of the, the, the children were actually ended up being admitted to hospital because they were severely uh, neglected. And it, they found out subsequently that upstairs, it was a completely different... So where the children actually were was appalling. It was really, really awful. But... The response to that was, um, okay, so from now on, every social worker has to go into every child's bedroom. And there's a, there's a box on the form that every social worker has to tick. And you can sort of see that, that, you know, there's a response that these children's bedrooms weren't seen, they were awful. Therefore, it's good sense to make sure that we check children's bedrooms. But what if um, the issue is not actually in the child's bedroom? It's, it's in the shed, at the bottom of the garden, or it's, it's somewhere else. Do we just add more and more boxes or do we actually say to social workers, you actually need to use your your senses, yourself, your common sense, your instincts uh, to to look out what you need to look out for to make sure that these children are safe? That's difficult and that becomes quite invasive, I would imagine. Are there perce- possibilities there for the perception of it to become invasive? Like, you know, like, yeah. what's he looking into my room for? Like, you know... Yeah. Well, I th- the the invasiveness is there. So, you know, we, we, as social workers, we are walking into people's homes as the as the state, and saying the state is concerned about your parenting. We're going to check it out, and we we'll do things like open cupboards and see if there's food in there. We'll check beds, see if um, the sheets are wet or or, or dry. We'll, we'll do things like that. The, my my issue with it is is that if there's a a box on there you do it in a tokenistic way and we do it every time we go around now i would rather that social workers knew when to do it and knew when not to do it and actually to focus on something else you know if the, if the family have got a different issue that week that you actually spend time doing that and focusing on that and listening to people and engaging with people not ignoring those checks that need to be done but knowing when to do them and how to do them sensitively as soon as it becomes a box on the form... It becomes abstract. It becomes abstract. People stop actually... It doesn't mean anything. Have you done it? Yes, I've done it. Not rather than, <laughs> you know, are these children safe? Which uh, should be the priority, yeah, I presume. Yeah. 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 It becomes techni- technocratic. It becomes a sort of like rational exercise um, rather than a, an instinctive caring yeah. uh, act. So you think that in some sense that... That because of the, I guess, the broader political pressures on social workers, 
in some sense they've uh, they've become more sort of policemen than nurses maybe yep yeah, uh, and that's because it is a type of policing, I guess. Is that fair to say? Yeah, 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 absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Um, it oughtn't to be, uh, but it, that's what it's become. There was a, a another case in Sheffield: uh, a baby who died um, while he was being prop fed. Now, that's, it's a really dangerous thing to do for babies. Um, but the response to the uh, and social workers have been out and done an assessment before before that, and I honestly can't see that there would be any way that they knew that that child was being prop fed unless they actually saw it. So unless you're in there twenty four hours a day, you're not going to pick up things like that. So I don't think the social workers were at blame, but the 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 manager's response to it was um, nobody went outside of procedures. And they're kind of like, so we're all right because we didn't go outside of procedures. We followed our procedures. It was just like, is there an anxiety like, there about being sued? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's an anxiety about being blamed. So, um, so it, and we've got into that really defensive way of working, which is just like all I need to do in order to manage my professional anxiety is to make sure I stick within the procedures and and believe that the procedures are safe. So that means it turns the social worker into someone who's managing their professional anxiety so it turns them inwards yeah. rather than outwards yeah yeah and i think what we end up doing is looking at risk in terms of the professional risk to ourselves rather than the experience of the child children don't experience risk children experience harm or fear you know they have a whole set of things that they experience none of them are risk. it's very immediate for children isn't it yeah yeah, yeah. none of them are risk we experience risk because what we're doing is trying to calculate the likelihood of a particular child being harmed by a particular set of circumstances. So all the risk thinking is about us. So what we, I think what we're doing is we're sort of like drawing it into ourselves. And then we become concerned with, well, if I get this wrong, what will it be like for me? Rather than what is it what's like happening for that child. Yeah. So it's an outward, well, it's an inward sort of regime or yeah. in your practice yeah no. can i ask like from your experience from your long experience and you know from sort of your sort of pedagogical work and your research work is there uh is there kind of a can you can you imagine situations where social workers are working in opposition to that particular manager who's trying to yeah. manage the procedures is there a sort of resistance within the yeah. within the profession yeah. and how does that manifest itself there's a constant uh, resistance to it. Um, and unfortunately, I think we've got less well-organised as a profession. Um, um, I think we... Uh, so there's, in the academic kind of world, there's lots and lots of resistance constantly. Always people writing about the problems of current practice contexts and things like that. It's certainly the individual workers though when they're living in that kind of performance management uh regime um where you know whether they get their next promotion or whether they become disciplined is based on how many boxes they've ticked or whether they got the right forms in the right places at the right time uh because they're the things that are measurable always always in that kind of neoliberal technical rationalization thing is just like these are the things we can measure so that's what we measure so we don't measure, actually, um, whether children are happier, healthier, uh, feel safer, are more cared about, more loved, because then we can't measure those things. Mm. All we can measure is is how often the social worker visited and uh, if they ticked all the right boxes.
you know, you talk about like the actual, say, an actual social worker, an actual, you know, dealing with a particular client. Mm. Could you sort of envisage a situation where a social worker might, you know, bend the rules? Yeah. Or be less follow the the prescriptions that are coming yeah. from policy and so on. Yeah, um, and I'm sure social workers do that every day. Uh, um, because they, you know, if they care enough, they probably have to, in order to uh, to sort of get to the point where where. But the cost to them is what they're doing is they're taking they they are taking professional risks. If you go outside of procedures and something goes wrong, um, you're the one on the line. If you go out of procedures and things go right. No one notices. <laughs> yeah. So you no, don't get any. Uh, yeah, no one's going to see. We're going to raise. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No one's going to see that. Uh, if you've got procedures and something goes wrong, you you are very very much to blame, and and, and that's why we're getting really high burnout rates in social work. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the average um, career for a child protection social worker is eight years. For nurses, it's sixteen. For doctors, it's twenty-five. That's interesting. That means that the sort of the, the discourse on on risk is not actually about the actual risk that social workers face, right? Mm-hmm. It's about uh, that's about managing risk, about controlling risk, about sort of negating the possibility of risk. Yeah. Whereas, uh, if, if 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 social workers are putting themselves in harmful situations and putting themselves in the way of hazard, yeah. Uh, if they're experiencing mental health problems such as burnout and fatigue, yeah. Then. That why is that? Because they're working too hard. Because they're because the situations are too challenging. They're working too hard in the situation. They're, they're making really, really complex judgments um, about people's lives. Um, the, the the decision to sort of walk into someone's house and say, "You're not safe to look after your children. We're going to take that child away." It's a, a horrible thing to do to really, someone. That isn't it? It's a yeah. really horrible thing to do. Really horrible thing to do. And so knowing, you know, that you've got the evidence for that. that I mean, you're not. It's not just a one-off decision. You've got to like, kind of like, run that through various decision-making stages, and then ultimately take it up to to the court, where you may have to be on the stand for a couple of days, being cross-examined by a range of barristers <laughs> to, you know, to convince a judge that that is the right option and no other options are possible. Um, and all the time believing and hoping that you've made the right decision and that that's the right decision for that child and for that family. And all that time you are facing um, hostility very often from from the family themselves, quite rightly. I'd be hostile if somebody <laughs> took my children away. Um, and very often a kind of like blame culture within all the professionals. So you, you'll, where you might have a multi-disciplinary uh, team as part of making the decision, you often get people who say, well, I, you know, I think you should have given them another chance or, or I think you should have taken them away earlier. Why have you left them so long? So, and social was always in that kind of like, we're the ones ultimately left with this, th- this decision. And that's, that's caused a lot of anxiety. It's a, it's, it's a distressful decision to make. Um, so the, the trying to manage that kind of risk for, yourself risk for the family risk for the child um all really complex uh, complex things so what tools then does the social worker use i mean trying to sort of empathize and put myself into that situation because i mean it could be i mean it could go well obviously you know or well it's not going to go well but it could be if you know what i mean it could be it could go smoothly shall we say you know where there's 
whereas social worker experiences less anxiety, then it could go very badly. Whereas well, it could be yeah. the possibility of physical assault or verbal assault or abuse and so on, so on towards the social worker. So what kind of tools does a social worker need, you think, in contradistinction to the sort of the, sort of the more sort of risk model that you're sort of criticising? What kind of tools could they use going into that situation? I mean, how do they, How would you like to challenge your own biases going into that situation, you know? Yeah. Well, we, we do talk a lot about reflective practice uh, and, and also reflexive practice, so like understanding. Because you, you watch someone's home and you, you're not seeing the situation as it is. You're seeing that situation as they are projecting it to you. Uh, because they know who you are, you know you're a social worker. Uh, they're going to give you a different uh, it's a face. Double bluff, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a theatricality yeah. to it. Yeah, yeah. And Goffman's really useful in terms of looking at some of that stuff. In terms, oh, this is Irving Goffman. Irving Goffman. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. That, that that's really interesting stuff. Um, and you have as as a social worker to be able to recognise that, recognise that dynamic, and and to a certain extent break it down engage with them um my concern constantly is because we've moved to this kind of thing of like you know if we have a set of tools as in you know interview schedules or questionnaires or we ask these questions in this order and we come up with these judgments that that anything like that is going to lead us to the right answer and i don't think it does there's a, there's a range of ways of working some of them which are really quite ethical sort of strengths-based work where we're focusing on what people do well before we start focusing on what we what they do badly they're all really uh good ways of starting to engage with with families but sometimes there's this belief that if you do those forms properly if you do those techniques properly you do the right answer and and it doesn't it never is going to it will lead you towards an answer but there's something about you at the end of that that's going to make that judgment and 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 you're doing that all the way along because you know even if you are sitting down with a family and sort of saying going through a, a set of questions you're choosing you're filtering that you're choosing what you hear you're choosing what you're going to re- record you're choosing how you record it you're choosing the emphasis that you put on things so I think social workers are very very much in, involved in that um, and and actually kind of Merleau Ponty's idea about yeah, the the body sort of extends across the tool it's using. Mm. Really, uh, is something I'm, I really want to look look into a bit more. Yeah, we'll talk about that actually, because that's yeah. the thing that sort of how we know each other. You're interested in using uh, the philosophy of phenomenology to yeah. to help look at social. Can we will talk about that? Uh, I, I, I have another question to ask you. I mean, can you sort of from your experience? Did you just like that sort of lived experience of doing a of going into somebody's house? You know, doing your job. Do you ever get it wrong? Do you think? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Um, um, well, well, I think wrong is a strong word. A strong word, uh, and I think right is a strong word as well. I, you know, I think we we make a decision based on you know the balance of probabilities within a context, within a time frame, within a, a set of things that we we, we know. Or, uh, so that could be sort of case history, mental health history, yeah, uh, educational history, uh, sort of prison history, whatever, whatever it might be. Yeah, and if you take that whole sort of catalogue of sort of socio-economic factors, uh, psychological makeup, history, personality, um, of all the different actors in any situation, then then, then things like parents going through mental health. Uh, 
issues which might be fluctuating. So the time that you're talking to them, they might be quite well, but further down the line, they might not be. Um, if there's misusing substances, if there's domestic violence, um, if there are external factors, so they're living in a neighbourhood where that's not conducive to them being safe. So they're feeling a constant external threat. Um, the you know that they lose the job. These are all dynamic factors. That, very often, what we do is in social work, we, we we go out and do an assessment, and we try to fix them in time. And, it, and all we're doing really is sort of taking a snapshot of what we think that that person, that family situation looked like at that particular time could be completely different a month later. So, you know, the idea that we can use that snapshot to predict what's going to happen in one month, two months, five years time is just kind of problematic. Okay. So it sounds like a lot of social workers are just doing their best with what they got. You they know? Are, they are, they are. I mean, in terms of like, you know, it's kind of research and actions as you're building up a picture yeah, of a it's, particular social context. It's exactly that. It's reflexive, uh, qualitative social work. Uh, qualitative research is what it is. And you are trying to make sense of what you are seeing at the same at the same time, and then adjusting how you're going to respond to that in the future. And and I think on the whole, um, in the UK, we get it right. You know, we we make some really good decisions for for people. And um, I, I'm I'm not someone who wants to slag off social work as a sort of saying we've got everything wrong. I don't think the way we're currently thinking about social work is helpful. I think we can maybe do it better. But I think generally we we do a good job. Okay, so in terms then of doing it better, like what sort of what are your sort of thoughts or your recommendations on how that might happen, you know? Yeah, I think what what I'm trying to in my work, what I'm trying to sort of argue is that we keep doing this kind of like trying to sum up people in their lives as if there are a set of factors that we can know uh, in a in an objective sense. So, you know, if we kind of know someone's psychological makeup, we can predict how they're going to respond to, to life in the future. If we know someone's socioeconomic background, we know what the uh, <clears throat> societal factors are within that neighbourhood, within that family. We can perhaps look at how that family works as a system. But we, we kind of like, if we believe that all of those things are knowable factors and we can sort of like top them all up and then make a calculation about what is going to happen in the future. Uh, I think that's. I don't think we can do that, and um, and I also think those kind of like limited ways of thinking about what people are uh, robs them of of agency, and and that these are people who actually have meaning. That and and again, what we do as socialists very often is like we go we look at someone and try to pin meanings onto them as a kind of like well I know from your history you're likely to be like this i know from is that a bias yeah very much very much a bias and if you get people working within certain frames so people like coming from a particular like you know i'm going to use psychodynamic uh, theory to understand your situation you you immediately limiting and fixing and restricting people's freedom um i i think one of the things that i noticed as a practitioner was that Whatever meaning I made of it, they had their own meanings. If I could work with those, they're probably more likely to engage with me, but also probably more likely to try to resolve uh, those things for themselves. Right. So when you say agency, what you mean by that is the capacity of the client to 
self-actualize. Yeah, yeah, make their own decisions, um, and 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 understand their situation. And I think sometimes what we do is we see people as broken, and it's our job to fix them, or we see them as part of a broken family that it's our job to fix. Yeah, I, 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 I used the word troubled earlier on, which yeah, is a very sort of a yeah. categorical term. Like yeah, it's not yeah, yeah, entirely yeah. right well, that, you know. Yeah. Well, and the government did that thing of that whole thing about troubled families. Yes, that's what I was referring to. That's <laughs> yeah. going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it was trying to pretend that, you know, we, there, and it, and it, I think it quite clearly said there's a set number of troubled families. And if we can get those right and fix those, the rest of society is all going to fall into place. And it's, right. of course it's nonsense because <laughs> as soon as you help those people to change there's going to be another set of people coming up along because we're moving the moving the boundaries um, so this idea that we try to see people as having a set of factors that we can know and then we can predict or we can help them change in a meaningful ways a bit problematic I, and so I, I, I want us to move towards a, a way of thinking about I need to I need to engage with a family you know, I'm, I'm a person who cares about what's happening to them. They're a person who obviously cares about what's yeah. happening to themselves. And we must be a sort of like joint enterprise between us about helping helping someone through process of, process of change or, or, or to anxiety, understand and anxiety or, and, and helping them get through that. And so because I suppose the advantage of that, and I am going to come to the sort of the phenomenology yeah, stuff, yeah. is because uh, the advantage of that is that it... You start seeing people less in a well, in a less snobbish like way. I might think, you know, yeah. you know, these are these are your clients are people with, uh, you know, same as everybody, dreams, hopes, aspirations, yeah. and and uh, yeah. a search for meaning and a quest for meaning. You yeah, know? yeah, and at this point, they do not have that. So it's a case about sort of, I don't know, restoring that in some way. Yeah, or yeah, helping them to 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 work out what what that is. You know, if you if you are, you know really focused on, you know, I've got to find where the money's coming from for the next, for the, for the meals for the next week. And, you know, uh, I've got to negotiate my way with the universal I'm credit. Or, I'm on the bottom of Maslow's yeah, hierarchy yeah, of yeah, needs. Yeah, yeah. Self-actualization yeah, is yeah, far yeah. away. Yeah, You've got a long way to, to go before you can start thinking, you know, what's the meaning of life and what's the point <laughs> of all this? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but actually, I'm sure people are still trying to make sense of what, what their life means to them. And what they want out of it, and why they might not be able to get there at the moment. Um, I don't think people stop having that kind of ability and that capability to to make sense of, of their own their own existence. And so the the, the the very act of doing that then is 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 the start, at least I guess, of uh, enabling people to transform themselves. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and having someone come come and work alongside them. And be with them uh, is is important to me, rather than we as soon as we take the role of expert, um, and who looking down, objectifying, pinning them to a set of meanings, we lose that capacity to actually engage with them. Really. Now I want to talk to you about the. Um, it's a good point to talk to you about the sort of the, the, your other sort of career. Your career as an academic researcher and. And lecturer, so you're currently working at the University of Sheffield. Sheffield, yeah. Yeah. And um, you're interested in this sort of using phenomenology, which is a sort of a discourse that I'm generally familiar with. And you see something of value in this. And I think it's it, that's a, that stems out of what you've just been saying, yeah. because, uh, I mean, the phenomenologist is 
in some way what they're doing is rejecting sort of mechanistic understandings, yeah. mechanistic and deterministic understandings of what a human being is. Yeah. And by that I mean it's, you know, we don't see the human being as a machine, yeah. right, you know? Yeah, yeah. And uh, you see phenomenology as useful to the social worker. You think it's a, a tool or a method that they can use, that, that the individual social worker can use to understand their profession? I, I do. I, I, yeah, I do. And I think there's that kind of like, I wouldn't like to think of it as a tool, but as, mm, as right. a, a perspective. Yeah, as a way of sort of thinking about it. Yeah, well, a tool is a very instrumental yeah, way. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Um, but actually just so, just being able to sort of say, right, okay, what this person is not a set of givens. It's not a set of, you know, everything that's happened to them in their past lives makes up who they are now. And if I know that, I can predict how they're going to behave in the future. Um, is actually sort of this is a, a person who who is not mechanistic, is not deterministic. They, they there's they've got a whole set of possibilities ahead of them. So that's an impo- interesting word, possibility, isn't it? Because yeah. uh, you know if you're on sort of the lower end of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, if you're just like well, if you're going okay, I need to get food, I need to get water, I need to get shelter, yeah. I need to get clothes for my kids, and yeah. that's that's that occupies like my 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 attention from morning till night. Yeah. You know. Where then can I get my meaning from? How can I sort of build on that? You know. Well, yeah. Who, who, who knows? Uh, and help as a social worker, helping them access the resources in society. Yeah. Well, is, possibilities is what yeah, I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that is that kind of first stage? Um, and you know, because you know, if you very often a lot, a lot of the basic social work is like making sure they're getting the right benefits. You know, making sure that housing is uh, is is bread and butter safe. Stuff. It's bread and butter stuff, but all those things are really important. And if we can help people to resolve some of those really fundamental basics in life, you, you're stopping them. You know, being constantly engaged in trying to manage that. Um, and then the next bit is about right. Well, okay, so here we are. You know, we've got the basics in place. What, what's possible now? Where do you want to be? Well, where do you want to go? What were your aspirations? Um, and and that's that's phenomenology. Yeah, yeah, uh, certain for me. Yeah, I mean, also, I mean, Heidegger sort of says that the one thing that yeah. sort of defines the human is well, that we're beings in a world, in a context, and in a practice, but we're also beings that are potential. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is you know, potential is neither here nor there. Literally, you know, yeah, yeah. it's not. It's and, and and Heidegger's idea about being towards death, you know, where we we we're conscious of being conscious, but we know, we all know that we're going to die. So we can sort of like work towards that. Yeah. Uh, means that we've got a, a responsibility to kind of like make the most of that. Um, that's exactly his yeah. point. Yeah, that's what, yeah, you make yourself uh, authentic and make yourself real or yeah. find meaning. Yeah. But is, is that something, is that is the question of death uh, something that a social worker could raise in a, in a, in a, in a meeting with... Um, with with clients in a sort of a, in a particularly sort of a delicate situation, we we have we deal with ideas about death constantly. You know, especially when we're working with with adults and or might work with people with life limiting illnesses um, or older people sort of moving towards the end of their lives, even with children with um, with difficult situations and, and child protection, death. So it preoccupies us as a profession, um, and is it, and I mean, I guess is this why you're sort of going to these phenomenologists, sorry, existential philosophers? You think that that they give you a register or a way of talking about things such as that, yeah, like death or like anxiety. 
Yeah, anxiety especially. That's really interesting. Uh, and as a, as a profession, you know, we're in this constant, um, what Heidegger calls stimmung of... Uh, yeah, mood, yeah. Mood Atmosphere, of, yeah. Of, of anxiety that, you know, we can't... It's not very direction. It's not it's not directed towards anything. It's just this constant state of being anxious. Um, yeah, he does. He does draw that distinction famously in yeah. Being in Time. He says, on the one hand, you, you fear something specific. Yeah. You fear... I don't know, you're afraid of heights or you're afraid of uh, a bull in a field. Yeah. So given my agricultural background there, who you're afraid of a dog barking at you when yeah. you come home at night, whatever, you know, but anxiety is just sort of ever pervasive. Uh, and I think we mix those two up in social work. So I think very mm-hmm. often we, we we can have very real fear for a service user's um, position. So we might actually have fear that a um, aggressive parent is going to hurt a child that that's a very real fear that's got a direction we can we can think we i'm, I'm scared that that might happen to that person and that's something you have to take on board and yeah yeah out. yeah and that that's something real to work on but we we what we then end up with is this real uh, global state of anxiety that's just generally about us feeling <laughs> scared about how we're engaging with the world and how we're engaging with our with our service users um so yeah uh, I think Heidegger's got a lot to, to, lot offer. to offer there. Yeah, I also quite like uh, some of Arendt's. Yes, you've written things. on Arendt as well. Could yeah. you maybe um, well speak to that? Well, I think one of the Arendt's book, The Human Condition, was like re- really sort of turned me into a phenomenologist. I think um, she um, her idea is that what we every human interaction is a sort of evanescent chain you know i say something to you it's it's said it's there it's out there and you'll do something with that it's an encounter yeah. yeah and 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 it and i'll respond to it and it sort of moves on and, the, and all those things sort of bubble away and like they sort of fizz fizz off and they've gone but they can't be unsaid none of those things can be undone or things they exist um in that sort of timeline um and I think that's a really interesting way of thinking about how we engage with the, with each other and how we engage with with our service users. Um, but what Arendt then goes goes on to talk about is is about natality. So rather than Heidegger's preoccupation with death, she talks about new new birth and and things being newborn. And I think if we can always sort of see people as potentially something else, there's a new uh, chapter in their lives, there's a new potential, a new possibility. Um, that's a that's a real positive way of thinking about. Um, things it's not about you know the uh, um, where, where the, the only fixed route that they're going to go down it's actually about thinking about all their possibilities and where we might end up i wonder i mean if i think of say, say if one of your clients hypothetically is like yeah. sort of got a very 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 profound substance addiction yeah you know um there's sort of no political outlet which i think is probably the case in a lot yeah. of in large parts of britain at the moment what do you do then with them? Is there is it, is it if they said to you like it's all right, Joe, talking about natality and yeah. possibility and potentiality? Yeah. I'm a junkie. Yeah, you know, and it's uh, how do I get out of this? Or what can we? What can? How does Arendt help me? I would work with that person to to stop them seeing themselves as being fixed, and and actually, you know, that yeah, okay. So at the moment you're using lots of um, lots of class A substances or whatever. Do you need to do that tomorrow? Um, you know, you have a choice. You have a choice when you wake up tomorrow. Um, now, some of those things are going to put constraints on those choices, uh, and we need to recognise those because it's, it's all you know. There's the contexts 
to to, so, to so what people what recognizing specific limitations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's specific limitations, um, but um, but within those kind of things, recognizing that they still have choices, um, and they can be difficult choices um, to to make, but they they're still there. If we all if we sort of just kind of think, oh well, you know, this is someone who's hopeless because they're a junkie, and that's that's it, mm. that's them as fixed. If we start seeing them as fixed. It's not surprising that they can see themselves as fixed still, and and actually sort of like recognizing when when they've they've not been that when they've been other other things when they've been other people and had other other lives and because not everyone's always been who they are now. Mm. Um, I guess it comes back to me. I think for to poverty. I mean, yeah. that's the big sort of thing that people need to talk yeah. about in that. And if 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 you are poor. You know, you don't have possibility. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's ultimately the, the big thing. The social work has always got to keep sort of challenged on that macro level. That um, you know, government policies of austerity have severely limited the life chances of a whole generation of people, um, and that's that's the reality of it. Um, and the government's got some choices to make about about how it does that. But what what we can help people is like, well, within the bounds of that, within the context of that. You know what choices have you still got? I wonder is, it, is the answer to just to give people free money? I think free money is a really good idea. I think uh, who'd say no? <laughs> I think is it Finland have been experimenting with that? Oh right, all oh, right. So you mean like sort of basic income sort of proposals? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah because it would, would 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 certainly give people, I guess, a start to go. Okay, how can I sort of be creative? How can I be imaginative? How can I get possibility back in my life? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I think Finland have actually been trying that for a couple of years now and giving everyone free money. Marvellous. <laughs> Marvellous. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, so is there, um, you know, in terms of, sort of, sort of slightly digressed there, but uh, just in terms of how you think of the social worker within the sort of the place where we are now, I mean, um, are there things, Joe, that you would, I mean, coming out of phenomenology and your research on that and looking at Arendt and looking at Heidegger and Lelouponti and these sort of great philosophers, are there recommendations you think you would say give to your average social worker? I mean, what do you say to your uh, so to your undergraduates when you're teaching them? Or I know you're you got you you work with sort of social workers as well who are yeah. doing sort of continuing professional development. Yeah. What do you say to them? And I mean, how do they respond? I'm curious. Well, I, I think it's because what I don't want to do is strip strip everyone away from everything they've got. So it's like you know there are, there are a given set of tools that people have for them and i think it's if they just have that possibility of sort of saying this isn't the answer this is going to lead you towards an understanding but you know you still have a responsibility to um bring your meaning to that um but also you have a responsibility to the service users to help them um accept their agency and and make decisions for themselves and 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 listen to them. One of the things we don't do very well, uh, I think we we pretend that we do, but I don't think we do, is we we, we don't listen to service users and give them uh, the respect to say this is what my life means to me. Um, it's fine you coming along, social worker, and you know as an expert and throwing lots of theory at me from a psychological or a sociological perspective perspective, but you're not living my life, and actually. I'm here in it, and this is what it means to me, and this is what I want out of it. Um, we come in and externally impose something 
uh, an understanding and a set of meanings to that. Um, and sometimes, you know, we kind of need to do that in order to keep everyone in the situation safe. But as much as possible, we should be sort of like allowing people to express their own sense of who they are um, within that. Tools are, are important. They're, they're a way of structuring work. They're a way of starting to engage with things and having something to hang stuff on. But at the end of the day, the responsibility of like making the decisions got to be the social workers. They, they, they have to take, take that responsibility um, and, and make sense of it for themselves. And do you still believe in social work after all this time? I do, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it, it, it engages with the most marginalised members of society and very often the ones who are the most vulnerable. And for the most part... The most part it helps them uh, live um, more happy, fulfilled lives. Um, absolutely, it does. Um, unfortunately, we're only ever judged by those kind of outlier things where something goes horribly wrong. Um, social workers don't kill children. It's usually, you know, their parents or, or, or carers who who do that. Um, so we've got to like shift that discourse that you know social workers are to blame when things go wrong. It's like yeah, sometimes they have some responsibility, but at the end of the day, they can't be there twenty four hours a day, and for the most part, we get it right. Yeah, I guess it's about sort of coping with blame. Yeah. How do you? How does that's where you're gonna go? I guess where? How does one cope with blame? Yeah. Accusation, um, which comes your way a lot, I'd imagine. Yeah, it does. It does. Um, well, what we what we can't do is what we've been doing recently, and like retreating into that defensive position of only engaging with people in order to defend ourselves. I think we we have to sort of go out there into the world and sort of say, look, you know, we are making the best decisions we can possibly make. We're trying to give people the best resources we can. Sometimes that's going to go wrong. Um, you know, if something only happens 0.1 percent of the time. In non not point one percent of cases, it's going to happen, <laughs> you know. So we could be ninety nine point nine percent right, um, but occasionally those things are going to happen. We can't we can't structure everything else to mm. try to avoid those very very rare, very sad, very tragic. It's difficult because uh, you're expected to be invincible, aren't you? Yeah, and no one is. No one is absolutely no one is, and it's like if if um, the number of if surgeons uh, had to face the same level of blame for people who die on the operating table as social workers do, you know, we end up with absolutely no one <laughs> going through surgery. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I think uh, I think that's a good place to end it, Joe. We've been talking for right. an hour. Wow. Yeah. Is that, uh, is that okay? Is there anything you'd like to add? No, 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 no. Thank you. All right. Thanks for being with us. Okay. Cheers. Cheers.